0: a welcome to you and a welcome to those that are joining us online and at River Ridge Academy at our Okatee campus. We're so glad that you would join us this morning. And I have a little bit of news to share real quick, if you don't mind, Uh, just a little bit of a development over the last week as we spent about a month just in a season of prayer as a church. So some of you may or may not know this. So we've been in a conversation for the better part of probably uh, four years, three to four years, Um, really praying about what it is that God has next for us as a church. And uh, of course, as we were getting ready to take a step towards something, um, you know, COVID-19 happens and things shut down, and and we just sort of hit pause for a season because we just didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, And then earlier this year, we got uh, really Back into the conversation through uh, development, we had received kind of this, uh, this called a letter of intent for somebody wanting to purchase our property. That never materialized to anything, but um, this past week we were expecting over the last month or so an offer to come on our property. And sure enough, this past week we finally have a written contract as an offer for our property here in Old Town. Now I know some of you, that's a shock. You're sitting there going... What in the world? And I just, I, I understand that, totally understand that. What we're going to do is over the next two weeks, we're going to spend some time in what we call some question to answer sessions. And our goal in that time is that we would... Um, get to a place of having smaller groups of people gather together so that we can have a conversation about what the future looks like as a church. And, uh, and so if you received our uh, email, we sent an email out on Thursday. If you did not receive our email, that means one of two things. One, it means that you're not uh, in our system um, as an active participant in Cornerstone. That's one thing. Or it went to your spam folder. So you may want to check that. If you want to receive a little more communication from us, this is a great opportunity for you to sign up for what we call our weekly e-news letter as well because there will be a little more information in that along the way. So you can do that through our website, cornerstonebluffton.org. But uh, you're also able to sign up through that email, but it will be on our website tomorrow. We will send another email out with some times for you to sign up uh, for those Q&A sessions because we really want to keep those numbers relatively low we want to give everybody an opportunity to share uh, without feeling like man there's 100 or 150 people in the room and we don't want I don't want to talk we want to give everybody a voice uh, in this season so I just want to encourage you to check on that Um, and then what we are doing is we're asking for a special called business meeting which will happen on November the 20th um, at 5 p.m. okay and so we're going to get ready for that as best we can. If you have some questions that you have, please come. We're also going to be sending out just a kind of a Q&A sheet so you can uh, see some of the questions that we've already been asked and what we how we're planning to answer those questions and those types of things. Okay, so I just wanted to put that out there up front, super excited about what God's doing. We've, we've waited, and that was part of it, right? We talked about living palms up, just trusting God for what the future holds and we are not moving until like he is leading us to move right until he is guiding and directing our steps that's been our prayer all along the way and uh, and so you'll hear more of that story as it unfolds over the next couple of weeks And some of those Q&A sessions, especially if you're kind of new to Cornerstone like this, you haven't been a part of the conversation, so I would love for you to show up to some of those opportunities so that you can be part of the conversation and hear the story that God's writing, because this is a God story and that's what we've been waiting for all along the way, okay? So I'm excited for that. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you this morning to turn to the book of Colossians. We're starting this series called The Prayers of Paul. And uh, it's probably just this interesting series when you think about it. It's, it's not necessarily earth-shattering, but I will say this. If you will lean into the way that Paul prays, I don't know what your prayer life is like, uh, but I'm going to guess that somewhere along the way you wish that you had a little bit of a better prayer life. Um, I think most people I know would say, I, I wish I could, I don't know how to pray or I don't know what to pray for, all of those types of things. And the, one of the things that I'm learning as I look at Paul in particular, uh, and as I was reading through several of his letters uh, of this past year, he, he, he has this way of praying for the people in his life. Now, most of his prayers that you're going to see are geared towards the church. Kind of the big picture of the church. He's writing a letter to one church that he intends to get passed around to other churches. Uh, And so you want to understand that. That's part of it. But there's also a few times in the conversations or in the prayers that he's praying for individuals. And so we're just going to touch on four of these over the next four weeks in the way that he prays. Now, one of the things that I would encourage you with is if you are somebody and you're sitting here, you're going, man, I just I don't know what to pray. Maybe you're a parent. And as a parent, you're like, I don't know how to pray for my kids, right? And that's a, I I get it, like I have five kids of my own, so I understand exactly what you're talking about. Well, listen, if you lean into the way that Paul is praying for the church, this is a great way for you to pray for your kids. Right, it's a great way for you to pray for their spiritual life. It's a great way for you to pray for their spiritual growth. It's a great way for you to pray for them to get grounded and anchored in the faith. So I just I put that out there because um, over the next four weeks, as we jump into these different prayers, and they're found all throughout his letters. So we're not even going to touch on all of them, but it's it's just an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I, I, this is the one. This is you might discover along the way, like this is the one way that you want to pray for your kids as they're growing up, or maybe your kids as they're raising their kids. So uh, Colossians 1 is where we're going to jump off in this series, uh, and we're going to pick up, we're going to go verses 3 through 14 today, and, uh, and then we're, we're going to jump into uh, one, one that he prays in Romans next week, and then we've got Ephesians, so we've got a few of them that are coming up. So Colossians 1, as he starts, let's just jump right in with verse 3. And I'll make some comments along the way. And, uh, and then I just want you to see some stuff, kind of background information, and why he's praying what he's praying. And then we're going to get into the specific prayer itself. Okay? So here's what he says as he, he goes He goes, verse 3 we, have, we always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for for all of God's people. So just something to keep in mind, right? So he's hearing, Paul never visited uh, this church, but he's hearing all of these things that are happening along the way. He's writing this while he's actually in, in prison under house arrest. So he's writing this letter and, uh, and he's hearing of their faith and their love for all of God's people, which come from, and here goes, your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven, you have heard this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Now, good news um, is, is just basically the definition of the gospel, right? The definition of the gospel is really the good news about Jesus Christ. Okay. And so th- those those words are used interchangeably. In fact, we're reading out the New Living Translation. If you have a different translation this morning, you might be, right? You might be seeing the word gospel instead of the good news because they're inter- they're interchangeable. He says, "This same good news that came to you, this is really cool, is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives." just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He told us about your love for others, and that the Holy Spirit has given you. I want you to think about a couple things just as we start, especially if you're a fill in the blank person, because you're going to want to fill in the blanks as we go through this, if you have your notes, right? So the first one is this, and it has to do with the gospel. Uh, There's a couple things that he says about the gospel in here. And I, I just, I pick out three in particular. One is this, that the gospel changes you. The gospel changes you. I just really believe that in my heart that as, as you as an individual, as you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you are growing up in your, your understanding of the gospel, that's how Peter would write it in 1 Peter. He talks about how we grow up in regards to your salvation. And as you grow up in regards to your salvation, the gospel continues to change you. Not, not that it just changed you past tense, I believe the gospel is changing you along the way. Because, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're not perfect. Right? You're not perfect. And because you're not perfect, that means that as you continue to lean in your life to what the gospel means, and you sing songs like you sang that song living hope, some of you are cheering, some of you are groaning, some of you are just, you're understanding that song, right? Well, well, that's part of what the gospel does. Like when you really understand the depth of the gospel, which means that you're beginning to get a glimpse of the depth of God's love for you, it changes you. It changes you as a person. It changes your pursuits. You hear things like you heard last week with our mission partners, if you tuned into that. Like you're hearing their stories, and there's something that's stirring in your heart. And and maybe you're even sitting there going, I don't even know what it is. I just know that I'm listening to that, and I want to step in, and I want to do something. Maybe it's that you want to give financially towards it. You want to go on a trip. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I'm just going to sell my stuff and move to one of those places and serve alongside of them. I don't know. But it's changing you along the way. Maybe it cultivates in you a greater desire for your neighborhood. Right, so you're you're becoming more keenly aware of what's happening with your neighbors, and you're saying, "Hey, I want to step into that." Um, maybe it's that you're you're paying more attention to your own life, maybe your own lifestyle, and you're going, "I'm not. I don't know that w- the way that I'm living right matches up to what I believe in the gospel," and that that becomes a little bit challenging, doesn't it? It's like you just stuck your toe out, and I stepped on it. But that's, that's part of what the gospel's doing for you. As you are believing the gospel in your life, it's changing the way that you live your life. As you believe the gospel, this is one of the things that I would say about marriage, and I do for, often when I talk with couples. It's like, man, when you believe the gospel, and you believe that G- Paul says later in his writings where he talks about husbands love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Guess what? Like when you believe the gospel, like you have a picture, men, of how you are to love your wives. And you might be sitting here today and you're, you're lousy at it. And maybe today you gotta go, you know what? I need my life to match up to the gospel. And I need to change the way that I'm living my life. I've gotta change the way that I'm, I'm loving my wife. I've gotta change the way that I'm raising my kids. Because why? Because the gospel's changing me. And here's the thing, if the gospel's not changing you, then I would wonder whether or not you actually believe the gospel. I know that might hurt, but if it's not changing you along the way, if your affections aren't being stirred differently, right, if if you're not looking at your life, I mean, at the very least, just from time to time. I mean, you could do it daily, but if from time to time you're not taking a step back and an In inventory going, you know what, what I believe is not matching up with how I'm living. Then, then you've, you really need to consider, like, what is it that you believe? Is this just what some would call easy believism? And it's like, hey, I'm just going to do my thing and go to church. And I mean, I'll be honest, like, it's nice that you come to church, but God's not really looking at it going, I need you to go to church. He wants the gospel to change your life. He wants you to be different because you encountered Jesus, not because you went to a church and sang some great songs and heard some guy on a stage. Like, it's, it, it changes you. It shapes you. It shapes your life. It shapes the way that you think. It shapes the things that you do. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that the gospel anchors you. So you talk about this, this idea of being anchored to something, and you more see this as you go through um, the book of Colossians, right? So, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, he, he begins to talk about how just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. But then he says this, being rooted and established in your faith. Because you know this, and I know this, and especially if you turn on the news, you know this, like the, the waves are coming at us, right? Very quickly, the world is going to get to a place probably pretty soon, I would imagine, where it doesn't, it doesn't think real highly of Christians, right? Those things are going to come at us in waves, and what Paul wants for the churches, he wants them to be anchored. And, and when you're anchored, right, when you're anchored to who God is and what he has done for you in sending his one and only son to die on the cross, like it allows you to stand firm against all of the attacks of The enemy is what Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6. It allows you to stand firm when you're tempted, right? Or you're tossed here and there and you're like, no, no, no. I'm anchored in the gospel and God's love for me and the sacrifice of Jesus through the cross. And it's anchoring my life to something, right? It's anchoring my life to something Um, more than just like what's happening around me. It's easy, right, to anchor your life to things that are happening around you when things are going well, When things don't go well, and you're kind of anchoring your life to like those things that are happening, and it's like all of a sudden you feel like your your world or your life is falling apart. But when you anchor it to the gospel, right, it gives you some perspective on things. It allows you to walk into different circumstances, and it's just it's different. As you're walking this out in your life, it's like the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the belief of luck versus providence, right? And see, if you're kind of, if you're anchoring your life to your circumstances, the things that are going on around you, then you're probably believing more in luck than God's providence, but when you're anchoring your life to the gospel, you're anchoring your life to your heavenly father, right? And you have a different belief system than the people that are around you. So the gospel changes you. The gospel anchors you. And, and here's the one that, that is really, really neat is that the gospel goes through you or moves through you, right? There's, there's this, uh, this picture you see. Actually, you see it um, back in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, um, one of the things that God said to Abraham, do you remember this? God said to Abraham in the Old Testament that through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. He, he's a, we would use the word conduit, like the the blessings of God were move, are moving through Abraham. Well, guess what? The gospel right? As it changes you, as it anchors you, guess what? It is flowing through you into the lives of people around you. And some of you, like, that's part of your story. I know it. And so, part of your story is, like, people around you, your friends, your neighbors, they're looking at you and going, how is it that you can be so calm during this thing that's going on in your life? And you're like, well, it's my faith, right? It's my faith. Well, that's, that's the gospel going through you, right? Because it's already changing you. It's, it's anchoring you to something. And people are paying attention. Like, they're, they're looking at you going, there is no way that you can go through what you're going through. And you're okay with this. You're like, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. I ran into somebody last night. Didn't realize this. Doesn't live here anymore. And she said, I don't know if you know, but my husband died in July. I'm like, I, I did not know that. And she went on to tell the story. And she says, he, he had fluid on his lungs, went to the hospital. They gave him some medicine. Within two hours, he was in a coma, and he never recovered. And she looked at me, and she said, but I know that that's what God wanted. And the gospel flows through her with the conversations that she's having with people around her. Because she believes not in luck, This wasn't bad luck. This was God's providence for her and her life. That's what we're talking about Is the gospel goes through you. That's what what Paul's hearing about the church in Colossae. He's hearing about the gospel flowing through the people into others around him. That's why twice in those opening verses he's talking about the love that they have for the people around them. And because of the love that they have for the people around them, it means the Gospel is flowing through them into the lives of other people. How about you? Right? How about you? How about your life? And what you believe about the Gospel? About what, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe He's changing your life? Or do you believe this was just this one-time decision that you made back whenever that you came to faith in Jesus... And it's not changing you along the way. I believe the gospel is changing you along the way as you increase, as you understand it, and you lean more into it. So here's, here's the thing. So now he, he kind of makes those statements in this particular passage. And then he moves into, right, his actual, this is, now he's going to move into, this is what he's praying for the people now before we get there I want to give you a little bit of a background okay Uh, because here's here's the fill in the blanks if you need it so um, understanding what is going on equips you to pray and here's what I mean by that okay so Paul knew what was happening in the church so of course in the early New Testament you had um, you had false teaching that would creep into the church and a lot of times the false teaching was around the person of Jesus. Who was he? What did he do? Was he really like, was he really the Son of God or was he God? Like, these are the things that they're, they're wrestling with along the way. And this, this is no different, right? Um, and so there's this false teaching that creeps into the church. And, and what, what I believe, and this isn't concrete, but. Most people seem to believe that this is what uh, became known as Gnosticism okay, is, is the false teaching that was around the church during that day and age. So, so Gnosticism, um, just so you know, you can throw up that next, next slide so they can see it, but so you can spell it, right? Because that's, that's the hard thing. You're going to look at that and go, I don't know how to spell that. And I'm like, I didn't either, but I, I did enough research to know. So th- there's some key beliefs in Gnosticism, right? And, and they believe like some of what was being taught in the church in, uh, in Colossae was what later became known as Gnosticism. It wasn't that way at the very beginning. But but it, it sort of develops, right, as things do, especially as false teaching is happening along the way. So there are some key beliefs to know about Gnosticism, which actually, right, helps you understand why Paul is praying what he's praying. It helps you understand when he starts praying this prayer, right, and let's just be honest real quick, just throw this out there. Most of us, we look at the prayers of Paul at the beginnings of, of the letters and we're like, okay, that's really cool. I'm going to read it so that I can get into what he says in the letter. Like, we're, we're not really leaning into the prayer. But this prayer gives us so much insight into what's happening in the life of the church. And so a couple of three things that, that they talk about. One is this, that there's, they call this uh, the divine spark. So they believe that there's a divine spark in everyone. Seems weird doesn't it? But that's what they believe, like there's just this divine spark, like every person has it in them, like that there's this divine spark, and they're just waiting for it to be awakened in them, so to speak. That's the first thing they believe. The second thing that they believe is that the creation of this world was the work of an inferior being. So they would say, they would say that they believe in, in God, right? Right? They, they, they might not say God, they might say, you know, supreme being or um, they, whatever language that they might use for it. But what they really believed is that the, the world that has been created around us is the result of the, the work of an inferior being who is not God, Right? So then they begin to put a lot of stock. Actually, they put a lot of stock in the festivals that they would have and some stuff like that that you see a little bit later that Paul mentions in the letter. Um, And that comes to the third thing, which is about salvation. Now bear in mind that we just talked twice, he references the gospel and the good news of Jesus. He's then going to one of my favorite Um, uh, portraits of the gospel one of the great pictures that I love of the gospel comes later in Colossians chapter one and and it's not really by coincidence he understands what people are believing and what they believe is that salvation is by a special right knowledge to the spiritual elite now I want to just here's one of the things that I want to caution you with okay this is free for coming today by the way What I want to caution you with is that as American Christians, let me say that differently, as North American Christians, we sometimes have a tendency to come off as if we are the spiritual elite of the world. I heard one groan. I heard one. I heard whoever it was, I'm, I'm with you. And, I, and we have to be careful of that, right? We, we have to be careful about coming off as, as spiritually elite, especially when it comes to the rest of the world. But let me just throw this out there to you as well. Like, now just, if you just not, not ignore the rest of the world, but now just put it into your, your circle. Don't become the person that comes off as the spiritually elite, don't, don't be that person, right? Don't, don't be the person that, that has this, this language about them that makes people think that you have a special or different connection with God. Because here's the thing you need to know, if you don't know this already, every one of us, through Christ, has the same access to the Heavenly Father. Did you know that? Okay? Okay? The reason that that's a big deal is, is I'm going to throw this out there, and this is going to shock some of you. I don't have a special access to God. I don't have a different access than you have to God. So while I love praying for you, right, some people come to me and it's like, hey, I really want you to pray for me. I will pray for you. But my prayers, I just want to say this, I don't know that my prayers are any different than like your small group prayers, I don't have a different access. We all have the same access through Christ to our Heavenly Father. Like that's one of the beautiful things about the New Testament, the beautiful thing about the Gospel, right? When Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom and it gave all of us access through Christ. So you might be sitting here, you might go, I don't even know how to pray. Guess what? You're invited to pray. As a child of God, you're invited in to have the conversation. The people around you this morning, there's not somebody here that has a more special access to the Father than you have. But the problem is, right, because a lot of us are Pharisees by nature. Right? We we sort of portray this, I'm this spiritually elite person. And we're not. In fact, if if you really want to look at what the picture is in the, in the New Testament. I mean, it really is approaching these things humbly and approaching people with empathy and sympathy and stepping into their circumstances and what can we do to help and how can all of those types of things. And we just have to be very mindful. Like this was the false teaching that's creeping into the church a couple of thousand years ago. You can imagine how it creeps into the church today which by the way man if you're if you're listening if you're here and you think of like there's a certain pastor that has this special access to the father i would just just tell you like be careful just be careful because we're all given through christ the exact same access exact same access so okay now now this is what he prays so that gives you context that was my hope I wanted I wanted you to understand some context of why he's praying what he prays okay so let's pick this up in verse 9 okay he says this so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you so he's hearing about their love but you know what else he's hearing he's hearing about this this false teaching that's creeping in uh, to the church by the way they're denying the deity of Christ in this just throwing that out there, like it wasn't part of that, because that's not necessarily what Gnosticism is about, but they're denying the deity of Christ, and so that's why he goes through some of the, some of the things that he writes, even beyond this prayer, like he really wants people to understand, like, in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, Colossians 2.9, like that's one of the things that he says throughout the book, he wants them to know, Jesus Christ is God. He is God. So he says, We've heard this. Um, So here he says this We ask God, here's his prayer, to give you complete knowledge, not special knowledge, but complete knowledge of his will, and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's the fruit of that. Then uh, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Isn't that cool? So so think about this, like if you started praying like differently for your kids, right? So I throw this out there. Here's the fill in the blank if you want it. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding lead to a fruitful life. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding lead to a fruitful life. Now here's the problem with a lot of our prayers. I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to see if you, you kind of agree with me or not on this. One of the problems with a lot of our prayers is that we are praying for the fruit, but not the root, so, so what we're doing is we're praying for like, like, okay, so say in your gossip session, I mean your small group session, you, you're praying for an individual whose life isn't like, you're, you're sharing about this person's life and you think that they should change their life. The problem is we, we mostly pray for the fruit to change, but the problem is we're missing the root of the problem. And what we really need to get at is the root of the problem. And that's what Paul starts to do. Because it's not, it's not the fruitful life. Paul knows that this is what leads to a fruitful life. And it's that they would have complete knowledge of God's will. Which, by the way, I'm going to throw this out there. Again, you guys are getting a lot of free nuggets for coming today. Like, you should love this. But one of the, one of the things about, about what Paul is writing in this is that even God's will, right, so Gnosticism's believing this, this special revelation, special knowledge that comes to the spiritual elite. And some people, by the way, they come across as like they, they make God's will this complete mystery. And can I tell you this? Guess what? God's will is not a mystery. In fact, I remember I was in college the first time I heard somebody talk about this. I was sitting across the table from a guy named, some of you are familiar with this name, it's a guy named Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was like this, this uh, the, he, he, at the time he was considered the Christian education guru, right? Went, was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I was a senior in college. I'm sitting across from him. He looked at me and he says, Mark, he says, it is harder to miss God's will than you think. Because it's all throughout Scripture, if you look at it, you might be sitting there going, man, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. Guess what? If you start reading the Scriptures in the New Testament, you will see God's will for your life. In fact, he will tell you, like very plainly, Paul will write in his letter specifically, he says, and this is God's will for your life. Pretty clear, right? Like it's not hard to miss. And that's what, that's what Paul is leaning into in his prayer for this. is like he wants people to lean into this knowledge of God's will, this wisdom and understanding, so that they will lead to this fruitful life. Because he's sitting there going, if you know these things, then the life that you live will follow after those things. They will begin to match up somewhere along the way. And so, think about that with God's will. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding lead to a fruitful life. Verse 11 says this, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. That's good stuff right there. Again, I'm telling you, this is the way that you can begin to pray for the people around you. But, but think of it this way, being strengthened with power and endurance Uh, produces endurance and patience, so being strengthened. And and this is the thing that Paul goes to. And I know you know this because I've said it before. But when Paul references in his writings, in his letters, when he references the power of God, do you know what he always ties it back to? You don't know. He, He ties it back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, in Romans, he would say it so clearly. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, right? And so, and so it's something for you to realize, like, here it is, here it is. As a child of God, if you've stepped into faith in Jesus Christ, then you have right now, you have available to you. You have residing in you the same kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and will in your life produce patience and endurance. The dreaded P word, right? Nobody likes the P word. Nobody likes to talk about being patient. Do you know of anybody that likes to talk about being patient? How many of you want to smack the person that looks at you and says, just be patient? I do. I get tired of it. But, but yet, this is what God is doing in your life. He's going, listen, you will be able to patiently endure. And this is going to be really, really important, by the way. As time will unfold. I'm not, I'm not being prophetic in this. I'm just saying as time will unfold in our nation, Right? I believe that we will experience more and more hostility as we follow Jesus. And by the way, by the way, I'm going to throw this out there. This may not be super popular. You can't legislate your way out of that. Probably not the best thing to say maybe on an election week. I know. But one of the things you want to lean into, you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, residing in you, available to you, and will produce in you endurance and patience when that hostility arises. And and just let me say it, don't be surprised when it does. Because Jesus warned us. I know it was a couple of thousand years ago when he said it. But he did tell us, when you follow me, the world will hate you. And a lot of times we forget that he told us that. But the power, and that's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for this power in their life that will produce, that you will be strengthened with His glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. Here he goes. Let's, let's, let's go through the rest of this. Now he goes, second part of verse 11. May you be filled with joy. Endurance and joy. Some reason go together. James talks about it. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 5. Here we are again. They go together, which which, by the way, if, if you think of the word endurance, it, the thing about endurance, right, is that it's it's not pleasant. Enduring through something means that you've made it through something really uncomfortable. So like, some of you are runners, if you're a runner, and you've run a marathon, right? And you're like, hey, I've run the marathon, and, and it's like, yes! But guess what, you kind of endured it. It was painful all along the way, right? You're, you're finished with it, your legs hurt, they feel like jello, like your body's cramping, like you're completely depleted of all of the, the things that you need in your body to thrive. And so you're, you're chugging stuff, you're hooking up to an IV, trying to, trying to endure all of those things, right? Well, that's, that's part of the thing you got to realize about endurance, is anything that you endure is not a pleasant thing. You don't use the word endurance for something that you absolutely loved going through. Use the word endurance with something that you absolutely hated going through, but you made it. So that's sort of this picture. So he's talking about endurance. He's talking about patience, the word we all hate. Then he's talking about, but may you be filled with joy. May you be filled with joy. He says this, always thanking the Father. How are you doing with that? See, it's easy to thank him when things are going really well. Not so easy to thank Him when things are not going well. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. For He has rescued us. Here's this Gospel again. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and He has transferred us into the kingdom of His dear, or another translation would say, His beloved Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So here's, here's really this last thing just as, you, as we finish. Joy and thanksgiving change your perspective. Last year around Thanksgiving I preached this message talking about um, gratitude changes your attitude. And it's that same type of mindset, right? Joy and thanksgiving should go together. And by the way, if, if you will lean into being thankful for what God is doing in your life, even though it may be incredibly painful, it will lead to you understanding who He is, what He's doing, which produces in you the joy that you want in the midst of your circumstances. But as you pursue those two things in particular, it will change your perspective. So you, you, might, you might stop. Feeling sorry for yourself. Dealing with a lot of self-pity. And woe is me. And it would maybe change your perspective and you can go, okay God, what do you want me to learn in the middle of this? What, What are you doing? Thank you for this. Whatever this is. So that your perspective changes. That's how, by the way, That this church becomes known, not Cornerstone, but Colossae. This is how the church became known for their love for the people around them. Because they didn't just focus on their circumstances. They allowed, right, this joy in thanksgiving to produce in them a love for others that became known throughout the world. And that's how Paul's praying for them. I hope for you that you begin to see maybe maybe you're dealing with some of this same type of stuff maybe this is how you begin to pray for yourself first that that you would yeah you would hold on to the gospel differently that it would change you that it would anchor you maybe it's it's you having that fresh perspective of god's providence and it's not good luck or bad luck that's actually determined your circumstances but there's a god in heaven who is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose and good comes in all shapes and sizes It may not be exactly what you wanted, but can I tell you that it's exactly what he knows you needed for whatever reason, for his purpose, and for his glory, and yes, for your good. Let me pray for you. If you would stand with me and pray, and we're going to wrap up our service singing one more song together. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, and God, the way that that you just put things together and you you allow us to see maybe what's happening in in this church in the New Testament and it would help us to understand, Lord, what, what needs to change about my life and my perspective and the way that I think and yes, Father, even the way that we pray. Lord, would you help us to pray with more intentionality for the people around us? Would, would, you, would you help us to be more open with the people around us so that they know how they can pray for us? And God, more than anything today, we just celebrate that you have given every one of us access to you to bring before you any request, any petition, any praise, And you you gladly hear them, receive them. And God, that you are listening when any one of your children is calling out to you. Thank you for that. Thank you that it's not reserved for a spiritually elite. Thank you that it's reserved for all those who place their faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Let's sing together as we close our time.